Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, I consider all of you who tune in to either watch the show or listen to the show on a regular basis, I sort of think of us as friends. I don't get to meet the overwhelming majority of you and never will. I wish I could meet all of you, but just kind of we never cross paths. We're never in kind of the same place at the same time or at least infrequently are. And so therefore, I don't meet personally as many of you as I would like, but I still sort of think of us as people who kind of view the world in a similar way certainly we view college football and our favorite team the georgia bulldogs oftentimes in a little bit of a similar way so there's a kinship and a friendship that sort of exists there whether we know each other or not now because of that i will say that i think friends often are honest with each other uh maybe more honest with a friend than you perhaps would be with somebody else so since, since we're all kind of in a relationship here and a part of the same community at the end of today's show, I'm going to be honest about something, and I'm going to save it for the end because it's not super positive, but we'll get there here coming up in just a little bit. Prior to that, let's just kind of look at everything that happened for Georgia on Saturday in its win against Missouri. And I want to begin with what I thought was a pretty important statement from Kirby Smart about what Georgia was on Saturday, because I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding here, and this is perhaps kind of where you kind of get to the the point I want to make at the end of today's show, but let me sort of set it up by saying this. I think some Georgia fans are kind of looking at Saturday's game, and they kind of put that in the category of some of what we've at times seen from Georgia of, oh, a little bit lackluster, not quite that dominant version of Georgia we've come to expect. You're sort of sitting there waiting for Georgia to really flex like it's Georgia. You're waiting for like the dominant version of UGA. And I, I think what I see happening here, and I'm not quite so sure if you'll agree with me on this or not, but what I see happening here is I think the fans have a little bit sometimes of an unrealistic expectation of what dominance is. I believe that right now, Georgia is, given the sort of typical definition consistent across years in college football, I believe right now that Georgia is a dominant team. And you'll say, well, B.A., how could that be? The game was close on Saturday. Georgia only won by nine points. Once again, this sort of gets to, I, I think, having a realistic appreciation for what actual dominance in college football is. In other words, a great team doesn't necessarily play great for 12 Saturdays in the regular season and then 15 Saturdays or 15 games over the course of a national championship season. What a great team probably does is simply find a way to play good every week. Hear me say that one more time. Great teams don't play great every week. Great teams play good every week great teams avoid the bad game that ends the season that's what great teams are all about and when we look at Georgia right now compared to anything else in college football based on the simplest most easy to understand most basic and yet also important metrics that are out there you know Georgia right now is as close to great as college football has and when you're at the top of the list you have to sort of be in the great category even if moment by moment, game by game, Georgia's just not absolutely throttling its opponents in a way that makes them want to quit and never play the sport anymore. Uh, Georgia, I think right now, ought to be properly appreciated by those of us who kind of make up this fan base as a great team here at the moment. Not guaranteed of anything as the season rolls on because there may be other great teams out there, but in the moment, Georgia is in the category of I think what great is and Saturday was another chance to kind of prove that now if you don't believe me if you think I'm being too generous with my definition let me give you here a couple of stats that I know that you will understand right now there are only three teams in America who are in the top 10 of both points scored per game and points allowed per game here this season it's Georgia it's Michigan and it's believe it or not Penn State they're the other team that's in there. So only three teams in America right now are scoring more points than other teams and also allowing fewer points than anyone. Top 10 in both those categories, just the two from the Big Ten in Georgia. But did you know this? Another category that's very easy to understand, not just the points you score and the points you allow, but the yards that you accumulate and the yards that you prevent your opponent from accumulating. We'll kind of measure that oftentimes in yards per play. Just a very simple metric that kind of uh, reward you for what you do on a per play basis as opposed to some of these teams that go 100 snaps per game and sort of compile a bunch of stats that sometimes can be empty calories Georgia believe it or not is the only team in America 
that's top 10 in the country in yards per play offensively and yards per play allowed defensively at one point in time a few weeks ago we kind of checked in on this stat and it was Georgia and Oregon Oregon has since kind of fallen out here on some of the defensive numbers uh but Georgia is still right where it was the only team in the country currently right now top 10 in both points scored per game points allowed per game top 10 in both yards per play offensively and yards per play allowed defensively that is Georgia that is the realistic definition of what dominance looks like in college football it's a team that finds a way to play well every single Saturday and still even after all the things we've seen this season and questions that have been asked about Georgia there really isn't anyone else in America right now doing it on both sides of the ball on a more consistent basis than what Georgia is right now. That is why, once again, even though Saturday's game against 12th ranked and once beaten Missouri coming into the game was a little closer than some experts thought it would be, that is why Kirby Smart was still happy with what he saw after the game. I love the phrase that he used. This is the description that Kirby Smart gave of what he saw from his team and going out and winning that game on Saturday afternoon against the Tigers. We have built a culture of uh, competitive edge in the fourth quarter. We believe that we're the best conditioned and that we're going to win the game in the fourth quarter. We're going to rely on each other. You know, I got goosebumps down my back when they went down there and scored, and uh, Cedric Van Pram was yelling at the defense to run off the field, run off the field, we got your back, we got your back, we're going to be fine. Because they, they, Missouri put together a really good drive, kind of drove it down our throat, and um, hit us on a lot of fast ball runs. And uh, Ced was telling those guys, jog it off, we're going to be fine. And you know, there's, a, there's a lot of dang leadership out there, man. we got some, some really positive leaders. So this is one of those things where Georgia fans love your coach, you love Kirby Smart. My advice to you would be, Take on the mindset of your coach here. You hear some Georgia fans, ah, it wasn't perfect. Ah, they made me a little nervous. Ah, not quite so dominant. Kirby Smart says, no, I saw competitive edge. I had chills down my back by the way this team, led by Cedric Von Prong Granger, responds here in a key moment. You know, really love the leadership. You know, Kirby Smart excessively positive in discussing that because I think he understands kind of what I was saying there a moment ago that dominance is not perfection dominance is excellence on both sides of the ball and no one right now is still even after a year in which Georgia's playing more close games or more portions of games that are a little closer than what it was perhaps last year in a national championship season even with that you know Georgia is still you know playing a dominant brand of football and Georgia is still finding a way to do what it has to do to win these games and extend a win streak that starts to get more and more impressive as the weeks tick on and roll on that is what is too like about Georgia here right now that they continue to be in the conversation and continue to find a way uh to be you know with all of its end of season goals still intact go for three and 23 that's what Saturday was about for Georgia Georgia was playing the number 12 team in the country and a team that kind of at times looked like the number 12 team in the country a team coming into that game with just one loss so this idea that there's some sort of reason for concern because the game was a little closer than experts thought it was going to be this is what college football is for most people for most fans across the sport they show up going to a stadium hoping that their team will win the game Georgia fans have seen so much dominance over the course of the last couple of years that it's almost like we have forgotten some of us at some times that most college football fans are just hopeful their team wins. Uh, that most college football fans do not go into stadiums or turn it or you know tune on in on TV uh, with the idea of I know we're going to win. It's simply about how dominant does the win look. That's not what college football is for most fans across the country in any given year, and even in a national championship year. That may not be what it's going to be for Georgia there as well. And in fact, Kirby Smart was asked directly about that. Ah, oh, the game a little closer than some experts thought it was going to be. Kirby Smart didn't hold back with his assessment of just how wrong it is to be overly concerned because this game had a single-digit margin of victory. Here's Kirby one more time. Y'all are acting like we're having tight. I mean, tight games are what you do in the SEC. I mean, there's, there's the margin of victory. It is hard to win. Kiaris and Broderick just came out of music coach. It's hard to win. Make sure these guys enjoy it because they realize how hard it is, you know, across the NFL. It's hard, man. I mean, you're going to get every team's best shot. And uh, I thought our guys played a really good football team tonight. And we practiced really well prepared for it. Um, I was proud of the way they played. The locker room's great. I mean, they, 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 they've been in these kind of battles. 
I love that from Kirby Smart. And I know that there's an element of what Smart's saying there that may seem exaggerated or kind of trite or whatever else. But y'all, I think we forget how true this really is. And I think the dominance that Georgia showed last year especially causes us to forget that. So let me give you a quick reminder here. And I'm going to try to make this as quick as I possibly can. I went back and looked at the last two non-Georgia champions from the SEC that played a full season. So in other words, this is not 21 or 22 Georgia, and this isn't 2020 Alabama because that wasn't a full season. That was just a very weird year. What I'm looking at here is 2019 LSU and 2017 Alabama. These were the last two non-Georgia SEC national champions that played a full 15-game schedule. You got me on this? Here's what I think you're going to realize is that those two non-Georgia SEC national champions played a lot more close games and a lot more less than perfect games than perhaps you remember. Let me start with 2019 LSU because a lot of people sort of view LSU perhaps rightly as the most dominant college football team of all time. Oh my gosh, historic team. Maybe the best team we've ever seen. A lot of people say that pretty frequently. But did you know 2019 LSU played three regular season games in which they won by a touchdown or less did you know that did you remember that that's what kirby smart's talking about there guys games are going to be close well not for the best teams how about 2019 lsu three wins in the regular season by a touchdown or less they also gave up 38 points that year to vanderbilt 37 points that year in a game to you know averages grits Ole Miss at that particular time Uh, They were in a slugfest game with the Florida team that was not really the championship level. That's arguably the best team of all time. And they had like five or six moments during the regular season when they were in a fight. They were in a fight. That's what Kirby Smart's talking about there. 2017 Alabama starts to feel like a, a, a long time ago now. But once again, another example of a national championship level team from the SEC. They had two one-score wins that season, one against 9-4 and four Mississippi State, one against 7-6 and six Texas A&M. They lost a game to Auburn. That's, that's what a national championship team was, a team from the SEC with a loss and two one-score wins against teams that were you know pretty average or at least you know slightly above average. That's what Kirby Smart's talking about right there. So Georgia fans, I think, need to have the right impression of what a dominant season is. It's not a, a situation where a great team necessarily plays great every single Saturday. It finds a way to play good or play well, I guess, to use better grammar, uh, to find a way to play, you know, let me, let me just say it sounds better when I say the bad grammar, to play good every single Saturday. Great teams play good every single Saturday. That's what you got to try to find a way to do. You got to try to find a way to win the game. And if you win the game, it is worth celebrating. And thankfully, uh, Kirby Smart seemed to understand that. And Georgia seemed to appreciate that there, too. Now, quickly, let me also celebrate a couple of the moments that sort of lead to this win on Saturday. Arguably, the biggest single defensive play of the year was made for Georgia on Saturday when Nazir Stackhouse got an interception. It's kind of entertaining because it's a big guy running down the field. People seem to like that. But at the moment here, this is also Missouri driving for a chance to take the lead, and Stackhouse took that from them on Saturday. It was a huge play for Nazir. Kirby Smart was obviously giving them some flowers after the game. This is what Kirby said about Nazir. Huge, biggest play in the game. It was uh, slow motion. We told him after the game we had to get the piano off his back because he uh, – he said he took out, and he just knew he was going to score, and he didn't realize how far he had to run, and he was he was out of breath about halfway. I thought Jalen Walker did a great job, just a great example of having discipline to not um, block somebody or clip somebody in the back, and uh, I thought he did a great job there. So it's kind of funny. I mean, even Kirby Smart's having fun with it. And by the way, the artist rendering that's, that's very artistic. If you're watching on video of the uh, of the Nazir Stackhouse, you know, run there on that. that that's that, that's kind of fun. Uh, but the truth is, it was a huge play at that moment to take away that drive from Missouri that had a chance to to to, to perhaps you know give them the lead there. Big play for Georgia defensively. I don't believe that this team's had a bigger play defensively all year long than that one was. Another guy who continues to come up big for Georgia right now is Peyton Woodring. The kicker all of a sudden has become one of the most sure-footed guys in the entire SEC. And the field goals that he gave you on Saturday were points that Georgia needed. And, you know, it seems like Kirby Smart's really developing the confidence in uh, Woodring here at the exact right time there as well, which could be big down the stretch. Uh, Woodring was also a guy that factored mightily in this win for UGA, and Kirby Smart also talked about that after the game too. 
Yeah, it shows we have a lot of faith in him, trust in him. I think the, 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 the toughest call I had all night was on fourth and five. You know, there's a lot of analytics that will tell you not to kick that field goal because a six-point differential just tells them they get four downs and you just invited them to have four. Um, but I thought there's a chance we might have another chance at a field goal and three and three would make nine. But um, if we don't get if we don't hit the field goal or uh, we hit it and they go down and score, it's certainly a tough situation. you got to have confidence in the rest of your team. They can stop them. Um, we got about half of that third down back, and there was a consideration there on fourth and five to go for it. But because of Peyton and what he's been able to do, we uh, we kicked it. And I think right now Woodring is deserving of that confidence. He certainly performed well for UGA. Then one more thing to give you, and then we're going to move on. Uh, obviously, one of the concerns for George on Saturday on the injury front re- relates to uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson, who I guess has a fracture in the forearm, I believe, that Kirby Smart has said here. He was seen in a sling. That's obviously an issue for George at the linebacker spot because it seems like Jamon Dumas Johnson's kind of come on here, obviously a good player, but even taking his game to a higher level here over the course of the last couple of weeks after kind of drawing some attention, perhaps some criticism, a little earlier in the season. But where do things stand with Jamon Dumas Johnson and how the rest of the linebackers play without him here's one more from Kirby Smart on all of that I'm not sure I think it's a uh, tibia or uh, it's, a, it's a fracture of something in the forearm how do you feel like the linebackers CJ and else after good and bad they played before he got hurt I mean those guys have played all year so we need those guys to keep coming and uh, keep growing up and uh, they've done a tremendous job and um, got a lot of respect for those young guys they've worked for this opportunity and they go out there and practice every day as hard as they can, and uh, and they're really good football, good football players. CJ and Raylan are, are very talented, and they got thrown in the fire tonight more than normal. Could see more of those guys called on here in the weeks to come. So obviously we'll be watching the Jamon Dumas-Johnson injury situation pretty closely. So let me kind of sum this up. We're going to move on because we've gone here a little bit long. I think it's appropriate to have the right expectation of what dominance looks like. And when you're the only team in America in the top 10 in both points scored per game and points allowed per game, the only team in the top 10 in yards per play offensively and yards per play allowed defensively, you are as close to dominant as this sport has in this particular season. That's what Georgia is. But being dominant at that level does not – uh, uh, you know, completely make you bulletproof from the occasional close game. Even the best national champions from the SEC prior to these two most recent Georgia national champions, they've dealt with that there as well. Georgia won't be immune to that either, perhaps not even more before this regular season is done. There is no guarantee about how this season ends for Georgia, but there's also no indication right now they aren't on the same path right now they've been on the last couple of years there as well with a chance to win the national championship. And frankly, that's all you can ask from this team, and I hope that you are enjoying this ride as much as it seems like Kirby Smart is right now. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 10 a.m. across all video platforms, 945dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m., as I said on video after that, radio, our friends, Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, podcasts all across the podcast platforms there, too, just trying to make this show as accessible and available as we possibly can be and we just really appreciate you um finding one of those platforms that works for you and being a part of our show here today also big thanks to our friends at pella window and door of georgia for making it possible there as well and you want to be a great homeowner you want to take great care of the home that matters so much to you both in terms of the financial investment you have in it but also the emotional connection you have to it this is where pella windows and doors can come in for you there on that because making your home feel as good as it can on the inside making it look as good as it can on the outside that's what pella windows and doors are all about survey after survey year after year here in our market area folks recognize the pella product the windows the doors as really the superior brand when it comes to all of this kind of stuff the phrase is viewed to be the best we mean that more than just a slogan it's actually uh, a representation of how people feel about that and if you haven't educated yourself on why that's true perhaps it's time for you to have a consultation with one of those Pella experts to talk to you about everything they have going on in fact you can stop by and see them at their experience center there in Duluth put your hands on the product feel it touch it really understand why it is a better product for your home entry doors windows all the cool product lines the array of options they have for you You can walk through all of that talk about some financing options if need be there as well installation options and 
If you don't want to go see them in Duluth, they'll come see you. Or if you'd rather do something kind of virtually, they, they're set up well to do that there, too. Just have that conversation. Talk about everything that's going on there and talk about the special savings opportunity you can get, too, between now and November 25th. About 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest for 12 months, plus an additional $500 off your pro off your entire project so give them a call 678-638-1429 that's 678-638-1429 or visit online pellaofga.com slash dog nation that's pellaofga.com slash dog nation and you can learn more about that today all right we're going a little late here. i'm going to see if i can pick up the pace here because we're gonna get john stinch come coming up in a moment prior to that though let's go around the dog house uh and obviously a lot of this will address with john here in a moment but starting with you know georgia gets the uh big home win against missouri on saturday and it certainly seems like it's setting up for an even bigger home uh environment for georgia upcoming this weekend because you get the night game espn i believe there's a pretty good chance we'll talk more about this tomorrow that georgia has the number one ranking again from the cfp uh committee after its win against number 12 missouri uh, ohio state's best win on the road at notre dame starts to not look quite so great or one of their best wins uh ohio state also scuffled a little bit with uh with uh rutgers on saturday seems like there's a chance that georgia can move back to number one and perhaps most important of all at least in the eyes of some fans we also found out that uh, on saturday georgia's going to have espn's college game day back in the building there as well there had been some thought of well maybe it should have been here this past week but uh looks like college game day going to be in athens on saturday for that we're heading to athens they announced yesterday this had been pretty well hinted at and teased at and now it will happen so you've got a very very big game coming into Athens where Georgia either clinch the SEC East with the win or perhaps it could uh, have that business take care of it uh if Missouri is able to, to beat Tennessee you know prior to that it could be a day in which Georgia clinches the East for the last time so there's a lot going on in Athens there on Saturday and kind of a fun thing to uh, think about there with that so the uh, campus will no doubt be popping for the uh, home finale there against Ole Miss there on Saturday I also want to mention one more thing before we get John Stinchcomb going here too I highlighted some of the key moments for Georgia a moment ago uh, the big play of Nazir Stackhouse. Obviously, Javon Bullard's interception at the end of the game, that's a huge deal. I think another one of the individual moments that truly mattered in this was Tyke Smith, who got the sack uh, to conclude the first drive for Missouri in the third quarter where – you know red zone issues had been a thing for Georgia as Missouri is getting closer and closer to that touchdown area the sack by Smith sort of knocks them you know out of that and kind of puts them into a longer field goal situation that was a very big moment in the game but on the other side of the ball offensively it was another big day for Lad McConkey, and I just don't think you can overstate this last week with no Brock Bowers McConkey really stepped in and gave Georgia a Bowers-like stat line in that game more than 100 yards receiving had the touchdown and once again on Saturday when Georgia need to make some big completions McConkey is a guy that Carson Beck knows that he can throw to there's a strong level of comfort there and Lad McConkey also just full stop is a very good player and his value to Georgia continues to be proved when he's healthy it continues to be proven week after week after week this is what Georgia quarterback Carson Beck said that Georgia got from McConkey um, in that game on Saturday once again stepping up and becoming a very reliable target here is Beck on McConkey from Saturday yeah I mean obviously he's came up clutch this week um, last week as well um, big time on third downs and obviously explosive plays um, obviously the coverage that they gives us um, dictates who gets the ball and it's just it's intended to be him so don't you love that word clutch kind of an old school word sports dog used to have a lot of the guy's not clutch or you know this clutch player seems like we do the sort of clutch thing a little less than we used to um you know it's not a word you hear as much as you one time would have heard in sort of traditional sports talk circles but i mean to me lad mcconkey just sort of feels like a clutch player georgia needs somebody to really step up offensively with uh, brock bowers not there and mcconkey has been more than capable of kind of being that 
clutch player for Georgia. Now, you'll also give Oscar Dupp credit. He had another touchdown, uh, continuing to play the tight end position at a very high level, uh, which is more important in Bauer's absence. And there were clearly some some you know other things happening for Georgia offensively. Dominic Lovett found the end zone against his old team on Saturday. But McConkey right now is the most valuable offensive weapon this team has when Brock Bowers is not playing. And in terms of the ability of Carson to kind of find him as much as he did on Saturday, Carson actually brought up a really good point about that uh, after the game was over with, that he sort of always felt like that he was kind of on the same page of, as McConkey because they came in together and they've just sort of had that bond together. It's kind of an interesting thing from uh, back in terms of why he has such an easy connection with, with McConkey on the field. One more time from uh, Carson Beck on that. He stepped up huge, and I mean, I've said this so many times, but the amount of reps that we've had over the past four years, you know, we came in together, um, whether that's in the offseason, during the season, um, obviously there's a lot of trust there and a lot of uh, built reps, so I know exactly what he's going to do and exactly where he's going to be. I think that's interesting. I mean, obviously the chemistry quarterback has with wide receiver is a really important, really valuable thing, and uh, clearly on Saturday – Beck and McConkey really had that, and that's a that's a that's a great thing to be able to see, and a good stuff from Georgia there. You got to have individual players if you want to have the kind of special season that Georgia feels is a possibility. You've got to have these individual players step up, and sometimes the need to step up is even greater because of who might not be out there, who might be injured. Well, on Saturday, one of the guys that really stepped up was uh, Lad McConkey, so good to highlight him, and really strong words there from uh, Carson Beck to help us do that, and that is around the doghouse here today on dog nation daily presented by Pella window and door of george okay before we are done it certainly seems like george is heading for a spot that it's been to many times before we'll talk about the latest iteration of that before our show is done here today and we'll also react to some of the crazy results on saturday and the real hot topics coming off another interesting weekend in college football but for now there is more on george winning against missouri and what comes next week in kind of a high profile clash against Ole miss let's cover all of that ground here right now on dog nation daily as we do a marlowe's tavern insider update with john stinchcomb today From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, welcome in, John Stinchcomb here to Dog Nation Daily and our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. And, John, I want to bring you in on a conversation I was having to start today's show. I get the sense there's a little bit of a misperception here right now that dominance means perfection, that dominance means kind of an unblemished level of play, uh, you know, greatness on every snap. And... You know, I think for Georgia, it was a great day on Saturday to get a win against the number 12 Missouri team that was kind of playing that way, kind of looking the part there on that. And that's not to mean that we can't talk about everything that Georgia needs to get better at. That's what we do around here. We're, we're obviously Georgia football and college football obsessives. We, you know, overanalyze and sort of micro uh, obsess over every single small moment from every single game. And we're open to do that here right now. But big picture – Saturday was a good day for Georgia, and I don't quite know that that's universally appreciated the way that it possibly should be. Am I wrong for saying that way? Yeah, I just think that you – It's what are you comparing to? If you're comparing to the last two seasons of Georgia football, what we saw is a huge gulf of uh, separation between the Georgia team and everyone else, and I think those were the anomalies. I still believe that Georgia is the best team in college football this year, it just doesn't have quite that separation that we've been spoiled with these past two years. So when we're in games and it's not a blowout by the second quarter, fans are like, "Oh no, this you know we're not you know, we're not a good team." That's a that's a fallacy in my opinion. I think Georgia is still very much the best team in college football. It's just they're they're battling out games and they have to play all sixty minutes now. So. Um, and they did so admirably against a very talented Missouri team. Missouri's got a really good football team that's dangerous on both sides of the ball. They've got a quarterback that can make the throws and receivers that can really challenge DBs, especially down the sideline. So um, it was a it was a big win for Georgia and should be appreciated, in my opinion. So if you want to be fair and balanced here, then kind of look at perhaps – 
you know, some of the evaluation that's taking place. It certainly seems fair to point out in, in two particular areas, by the way, they're very important areas in which right now, you know, Georgia's probably not quite what we've been used to this team being. It's the lines of scrimmage, both perhaps maybe at times offensive line and certainly maybe, uh, you know, some of the stuff in the defensive line there too. Now we'll get to the Nazir Stackhouse interception because that was a huge moment in this game. But, you know, Georgia gave up more than 100 yards for a running back on Saturday. That almost never happens. Uh, you know, guy played a good game, and perhaps perhaps that's what Georgia was willing to allow because it wanted to make sure it uh, you know was dropping guys back in coverage against a Missouri passing attack that I had respect for, and obviously the, the quarterback run kind of factored into that. You know, Georgia, especially in the first half, was a little bit slow to get the running game going. You know, in the first half, Georgia was only averaging about three yards per carry. You know, got a little better in the second half, I guess. But if you really kind of want to zero in on, you know, if there's eyebrows being raised at all or if there are, you know, little tiny alarms going off right now, you know, right now the lines of scrimmage haven't, haven't for the full season felt as Georgia-like as they you know oft, often have here you know I do think that's a fair point of evaluation kind of point that out what do you make of that yeah I totally agree and I think it's again what are we comparing to we're comparing against uh two years of truly elite defense and suffocating defense the tagline that Kirby used so frequently last year was you're either elite or you're not well that group was elite and this group this year is really good, but they're not they're not elite. So it depends on what you're you're comparing to. If you compare to that last year's group, then you know uh, there there is a little bit of a drop off. You don't have the Jalen Carters out there that you know can truly affect a game. And on the other side of the ball, you know three sacks allowed against Missouri and a little bit of a beat up offensive line where we've seen some shuffling, especially with Marius Mims still out. So it's it's not the dominance that we've seen. You know, last year, I think that Georgia offensive line was very much in contention for the Joe Moore Award, and arguably had a, a stake for that recognition. And they, I, I would be hard pressed to say that that same claim could be made this year. So it's it's not probably the same as what we saw last year. But that's not to say it's not enough. I, I think that Georgia still has really good groups on both sides of the ball it's just we're comparing to uh specifically on the defense side groups that were elite and we're really good so that's i think that's where the comparison is made what do you think is going to happen when amarius mims is ready to return you know I, i get the impression that's getting closer um it's interesting to me because you know, I view Mims as a better player than Truss. Truss has played well at tackle. I think we talked last week. He's probably played better at tackle than he played at guard. Um, I've been happy with Dylan Fairchild at left tackle. I think he's done well. You know, Tate Ratledge seems to have an NFL future at right tackle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. At right, at, 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 at right guard. What do you? What do you think happens when when Mims is ready to return? Yeah, well, Mims was our best offensive lineman, in my opinion, while he was healthy. So <clears throat> once he's once he's ready to go, which, man, he's got to be close, right? I mean, you look at the timeline, and he's got to be pretty close to being ready to go. So I, I think he slides right back into right tackle. What I think the, the question mark is, is what do they do at left guard? Is there a continued rotation? Um because I, I agree, I think Dylan Fairchild and, and Micah Morris at times, you know, he's he is a physical joker, buddy. I mean, he is a big, thick, brawny dude that you know can move folks. And um, if if I'm being honest, at times Xavier Truss is kind of like a runaway train. If if you're on the tracks in front of him, he'll he'll run you over. But there there's some times where there's a lot of whiffing going on and. Okay. Um, you know, and that's just part of his game. And so I think you've got, because of his shift out to tackle, you've got much more of a competition at that left guard spot because you, it's the Wally Pip situation. You never want to let him see your backups, right? And yeah. now we have. We've seen that Dylan Fairchild and Micah Morris, you know, can play at a, at a sustainably good level. And I think that just makes it for much more of a, a competition 
once Mim slides back into that right tackle spot. Let me kind of use the Missouri game as a springboard for like something else. It's going to be a very hot topic moving forward where, you know, like Brady Cook, by the way, he's a way better athlete than I realized. And this is also a guy that I thought was, to begin the season, the most likely SEC quarterback to be replaced during the year at some point in time. I could not have been more wrong about that. Uh, he's had a good year for Missouri. But you kind of put this in the same category of some of the stuff that Peyton Thorne was doing in the Auburn game. You know, Georgia having its issues against running quarterbacks. Well, now it seems like almost a foregone conclusion that Georgia's going to play Alabama again in the SEC championship. But the one thing we know that Jalen Milrow can do is he's good with his legs there as well. A lot more accomplished as a runner than he is as a thrower, especially on the intermediate routes. John, is there um, uh, a, a narrative thread that connects what Thorne was able to do for Auburn, what what uh, uh, Cook was able to do on Saturday for Missouri, and you know, does that give you thoughts of oh gosh, be careful against an even better running quarterback, which Milrow might be? Like, what do you make of the idea that Georgia this year has been vulnerable against the running quarterback? Is that because everybody's vulnerable against running quarterbacks, or is that something particular to Georgia? You think? No, I, I think it's certainly a thread that has gone through this season, and it is a concern. You watched uh, that Alabama-LSU game, and you're looking at two of these quarterbacks that are dual threats, and legitimately so. And, you know, if you're, if you're being critical of Milrow, at some point it was, you know, he just can't make the throws. You knew that he could run. And I think for this Georgia defense, there has been some vulnerability there, specifically against Auburn. And what we saw in, in Missouri is, you know, those third-down situations, and Cook's able to extend some drives. Now, I think because of, you know, we play a lot of that man press on the outside with our cornerbacks, and, and Missouri came in with a game plan. Their, their plan was, you know, we're going to throw these fades and back shoulders, and, um, you know, you, you think of the burden touchdown early, and just uh, throughout the game, especially that last series, it's like, they're just going to go fade, 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 back shoulder um, every every play. And I think you combine that with a quarterback that runs, and it was a real challenge for our defense. And um, I, I think, if nothing else, we've got a staff that prepares our team really well. And, you know, we've got a lot of football to play before we get to this SEC championship and uh, starts with this weekend and a very talented Ole Miss team. But – as we project towards that SEC championship, it is going to be a factor. You have got to have a game plan going into the game for Milrow because he is a huge threat. He's one of the best running quarterbacks in college football, in my opinion. It's just a matter of he's he's growing into the role of being a better passer at that quarterback position. So, Let me try- you know, when we get there, it's gonna it's certainly going to take a, a concerted effort. I want to try to get a couple more things on the game with, if you don't mind, here, too. We talked about the Jamon Dumas-Johnson injury. At the beginning of the year, JDJ was kind of in the spotlight with fans a little bit, you know, not always for the right reasons, but it seems like he'd been playing a little bit better as of late, maybe perhaps playing a lot better as of late, if it ever even was a concern. And yet now he's going to have an injury, and, uh, you know, Kirby said on Saturday probably would not be able to play with some sort of cast on, so this could be an injury that takes him off the field for a little bit. Um, how big of a loss do you think that is for Georgia right now? If you're talking about, you know, Ole Miss game, Tennessee game, maybe with no JDJ, vocal leader for this defense, you know, you know, perhaps not in the game, reminiscent almost of uh, last year with Nolan Smith, maybe hopefully not that long for Jamon Dumas Johnson, of course. But how big of a deal is the Jamon Dumas Johnson injury right now? Yeah, I mean, this is speculation, but I think it's more of leadership and that vocal presence and that defense side than performance. I, I think he's a really good player and uh, has shown times where he can be dominant, but it's been inconsistent this year. If we're going to be honest with each other, you know, there's been a lot of times where you're going, mm, we, we just need you to make that play, and he, and he doesn't. Now, here's the, here's the really good news is if there's a position group that's pretty well stacked with some talented athletes. I think it's that linebacker room. I, you saw uh, Jalen Walker play not only on the edge, but he lined up at the second level a number of times. And then C.J. Allen is a guy that's gotten a number of reps throughout the season. Obviously, he was called upon more on Saturday because of J.D.J.'s injury. Um, but there, we have some answers there that do more than just sustain us until he comes back. 
and then uh, on the positive side here, a guy that really drew some reviews positively from fans uh, was Julian Humphrey playing that cornerback spot on Saturday. He was victimized by a horrendous pass interference call. But it seems like Humphrey, who, by the way, you know, and it's not always true that sometimes like the camp buzz is like just worth nothing. It's it's just, you know, it doesn't materialize on the field. But there had been pretty good camp buzz, spring practice, fall camp, pretty good camp buzz around uh, Julian Humphrey. After last year, John, you're probably aware of this too, there wasn't word once. I mean, I like never heard a word about him one way or another and wasn't really quite so sure maybe even what Georgia had there. But this year, a lot of preseason buzz around Humphrey. And boy, on Saturday, he looked like the kind of guy – that acts like he wants to play a little bit more down the stretch because uh, he, I thought he looked pretty good there at that cornerback spot. Yeah, and that pass interference was a joke. I mean, that, that that's one of those where you're just going, that is a horrendous call. But he played really well. It was impressive that uh, Kamari Lasseter and his versatility allowed for that. I mean, uh, very rarely do you see a cornerback flex from an outside corner to a slot defender and – I think that really opened up this defense uh, considerably to allow for Julian Humphrey to come in. And that, I think that's probably earned. I think uh, the coaching staff has probably seen in practice, like, this guy is hungry. He's playing really well. We need to find ways to get him out on the field. And I thought his performance on, on Saturday earned the right for even more to come. And, yeah, I agree. Early on during camp, you're going – man, he's one of those guys that continues to create buzz, but we haven't seen a lot of him. So I think this is kind of a, a breakout performance for him. All right, so let's get to the single biggest moment of the game on Saturday, pun intended. As a big guy yourself, now you're less big than you used to be, but you certainly played the game at a, at a, at a big guy level, offensive tackle. What was your evaluation of the big guy interception return from Nazir Stackhouse? I loved it. And I also said – you're you're tempted to make this more about the entertainment value of seeing the big guy running than you are the actual huge moment of getting an interception at a time in which Missouri's potentially driving to take the lead. But we'll kind of keep this uh, on the fun side here too. Uh, what did you make of, St- of Stackhouse ball in hand running down the field? I thought he did a pretty good job there. Oh, I loved it. I mean, it's just such a pleasant sight to see those big bodies rumbling down the field. Now he was totally gassed. Right. Sure. And you know, Kirby mentioned it that Jalen Walker is trying to do his best to, you know, shield the defenders and get him in the end zone. But I think by that point, Nazir was going. I, I'll do anything to just lay down on his field and take a small nap because uh, the tank was on E. But I mean, what a huge play! And you know, it, it was one of those things where it, I think he just probably surprised himself that in the middle of his breadbasket turned out to be a football yeah. it wasn't uh you know it was really more of a cook's mistake but what how fun is that i mean yeah. i loved it but mainly because you know number 78 and the expectation is that you make phenomenal plays when you wear that number and boy, that's right it? that's a good point i didn't think about that that's a good point <laughs> So, Michael Carvel, our producer, did you – so, if you're watching a video, did you make this or did somebody else make that? Did you make that? Yeah, so Michael has kind of like basically put a little bit of a, like an overlay on the uh, on the uh, Nazir Stackhouse photo. It almost has like the uh, the uh, oil painting type vibe here. It's a it's a really nice artist rendering almost of the uh, Stackhouse moment. That's suitable for framing right there. I, just take a screenshot of that if you're watching a video, and uh, that is uh, definitely suitable for framing. John, I feel like I we've talked about this before. How many times did you touch the football, either at Georgia or in the New Orleans Saints as an offensive tackle? How many times did you touch the football? I landed on a few fumbles throughout my career, including the one in Auburn. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, that's right. That, that's about it. I mean, never once did I try to scoop and score or pick it up and do anything with it. We uh, We usually just practiced how to coil up around the ball like a – anaconda you know we're not trying to impress anybody by jukes and 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 running down the field but you were really good athlete i mean your your combine numbers were were off the chart uh you couldn't convince drew Brees to do a tackle eligible play for you (laughs) hey you you would think you would think it was you know I, i joke there's uh zach streeth was the tackle that 
that was behind me while I was there and went on to a 12-year great career. And he was usually the, the guy who would report eligible to be that offensive lineman. And uh, we're playing the Steelers, and, you know, we had practiced the, the you know, he's eligible. So the slip him out into the end zone, and I'm telling you, it was like a redwood falling in the forest as he <laughs> tried to backpedal and reach up for this ball and fell. And it's one of my favorite pictures because I am the closest to him, and it's almost like you see the smile on my face. You know, we score the next play, but he he did not catch it. And, uh, you know, it's it's always fun to see the big boys score. No doubt. not one of those occasions. That's really, <laughs> that's really good stuff. It's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider update with John Stinchcomb here on the program today. And, uh, by the way, great time for you to become a, um, a uh, Marlowe's Tavern Insider right now. Uh, it's free to join. You can go to Marlowe'sTavern.com or the Marlowe's app and take advantage of that today. And when you do so, you get a great incentive just for joining. About $10 off your $30 order there at Marlowe's Tavern just for signing up. And after that, you're going to try to earn what are known as qualified visits because when you spend at least $15 on food or beverage in a Marlowe's Tavern, that becomes a, a qualified visit. And when you get four of those qualified visits, you're going to earn a complimentary entree reward for up to $20 on your next visit to Marlowe's Tavern. You can redeem those all across town, including the Marlowe's Tavern right there in your neighborhood, perhaps there as well. You'll even get special stuff on your birthday there as well. So all of it online, the information you need online, Marlowe'sTavern.com for more on that. Marlowe'sTavern.com. John, I want to finish with this real quick because I want to be respectful of your time. But, you know, Saturday, and I'm talking about this upcoming Saturday, you got game day in the house, home finale, you know, night game against a, you know, top 10 ranked Ole Miss team, Lane Kiffin coming into town. It's just kind of funny. Almost every year it seems to work out this way where perhaps there's a lot of chatter at the beginning of the season. Oh, lackluster home schedule, not much going on. And yet this past weekend, it's the number 12 team in the country. It's 330 CBS. Final home game here this week. It's game day. It's prime time. It's. Uh, it's you know all the excitement all the energy you know college football just has a way of surprising us and sort of pleasantly rewarding us when perhaps at times maybe it seems like that's not going to quite be the case uh should be a really really fun environment on saturday to kind of close it out from a home slate and kind of a nice thing to see for georgia fans who were a little concerned about the nature of this home schedule when the season began yeah it's one of those things where you earn the opportunity to play in big games and for missouri and old miss i think they've out performed expectations, um, specifically Missouri. But Georgia continues to win, and, heck, there's probably a number of games where you could have said they should have had college game day already. But it's always exciting, you know, and college game day comes to town and you get a little more buzz, and um, it, it just adds to the excitement and anticipation, and it's those opportunities are earned. And, again, it's because of the performance that Georgia has and their sustained uh, efforts in, in continuing to win game after game after game. It just provides an opportunity for these big moments. And, you know, whether whether you're comparing to last year or the year before, uh, this is a really good football team. And um, I'm excited to see their, the rest of these games. And, you know, Ole Miss coming to town, they're no schlub. I mean, obviously yeah. top ten team. Uh, that that's super dangerous, and Lane Kiffin is one of the brightest minds, uh, at least as a coach. I mean, some of some of his social media stuff you might question, but um, <laughs> he certainly knows his way around an offensive playbook. John, terrific stuff. We appreciate you being here as part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider update. Thank you so much for your time. Always love your insight on another Georgia win, and hopefully we'll have another one of these to talk about again next Monday there as well. We appreciate you being here for Marlowe's Tavern Insider update. Look forward to talking to you soon. Appreciate it, B.A. Go dogs. Go dogs as well. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Really, really good stuff from John Stinchcomb. Love kind of getting into some of what happened for Georgia in that win on Saturday and then looking ahead to what's going to be a fun showdown against Ole Miss here coming up and what is, believe it or not, the final home game of the season for Georgia. Another season 
seemingly getting away from us just so quickly. You're amazing how all of that works out. But for now, though, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And obviously, a lot to be excited about about Royal Caribbean right now, including for those of you who kind of join us from where I am here in the Atlanta area. You know, for me, the most convenient port to sail out of is the one in Port Canaveral. It's right there kind of in the Cocoa Beach area. It's just sort of, you know, heading down the Florida Turnpike, just sort of past Orlando, you get to uh, Port Canaveral there. So when I'm sailing out on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, Port Canaveral is typically speaking the uh, port that I like to sail out of. I'll be going out of Port of Miami here uh, for uh, Icon of the Season January, but but typically speaking, the the port there at Port Canaveral is the most convenient for me. That's one of the reasons why our Dog Nation cruise always goes out of Port Canaveral. It's just an easy port to get to. And so I'm really excited about the brand new thing coming to Port Canaveral in July of 2024. It's Utopia of the Seas. We talk about new Royal Caribbean cruise ships all the time, but Utopia of the Seas in July is one of the ones I'm the most excited about because it really kind of represents sort of a new horizon for our Royal Caribbean summer specs. The newest in the Oasis class ship built specifically for those three and four night sailings out of Port Canaveral because once again, you know, th- this weekend for my family was crazy. I had high school football on Friday, Georgia football on Saturday. My wife was in Carrollton for my daughter in gymnastics on Saturday. My son at baseball yesterday. It's like we have so many things going on that sometimes finding enough space and time for like the seven night cruise, not an easy thing for us to do. The three and four night cruises for us make a lot of sense because it's a good, quick, long weekend. You're kind of back for the stuff you need to be doing. And to now be able to say on the newest and one of the biggest ships at sea, like Utopia of the Seas is going to be, we have a chance to enjoy that coming up in July. That's going to be an awesome thing. So please give Jessica Slater a call. Travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean for your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. Her number is 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her Slater at dreamvacations.com. She'll tell you everything you need to know about all the great new stuff coming with Royal Caribbean here in 2024. So Alabama, as we predicted, got the uh, win against LSU on Saturday. Let me say something quick about my predictions. We don't tout ourselves very much here because, frankly, pride cometh before the fall. But I was actually pretty proud of myself after a 6-0 week last week. We came back with a winning week again this week. In a lot of ways, it's it's weird. It's almost like you're more proud of kind of not having a losing week the week after an undefeated week than you were about the undefeated week to begin with. So we've actually been pretty good against the spread here this year, which has been kind of a fun thing to enjoy. And, of course, we give our official picks on Go With The Flow, presented by R.S. Andrews on Friday. One of our picks for this week was Alabama on against LSU. And I think our overall assessment of this game was true, which is that – on a neutral field, hard to buy LSU and Alabama as equal teams because LSU is just so bad defensively that there was a clear advantage for Alabama on the basis of that, and that was once again proven there on Saturday. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch how Alabama is treated after this game. You know, some people seem to be wanting to do the, oh, gosh, watch out, Alabama's figuring it out. Oh, here comes Alabama. Uh, and, and maybe that's true. I mean, obviously, that's a dangerous opponent for Georgia in the SEC championship game. I won't you know pretend that it isn't clearly a quality team but all Alabama did on Saturday was become the third team to beat LSU this year right so you know it's just like this is not a very exclusive category right now in terms of beating LSU you know frankly uh, Florida State probably beat them up a little bit worse than Alabama was able to but Ole Miss also beat them there as well so what I saw on Saturday was a reminder that LSU is just too bad defensively to really be in you know any kind of like championship conversation ultimately you know our pick for them in the college football playoff to begin the season could not have been more wrong because there is just not a championship level or even a decent levels of defense being played at LSU and a lot of this is on the back end you know guys like Mason Smith probably haven't had the kind of year I thought they were he was going to be capable of having but on the back end this team just can't cover anybody in the pass they just can't and Alabama's no great shakes offensively but LSU's just not stopping people and that was sort of reminded there on Saturday. So what you're left to wonder here is, okay, so Alabama's got what, like a win against Kentucky. They win the division. Uh, Georgia's, you know, can either win on Saturday. Uh, and by the way, even if Alabama loses Kentucky, I guess Georgia beating Ole Miss wins the division for Alabama. The point is, it's essentially locked up now, relatively early November, that it's Georgia-Alabama again. And you know the backstory here. Georgia won the most recent matchup between these two teams. 
But prior to that, in previous SEC championship matchups in 2018 and in 2021, uh, Georgia wasn't able to beat Alabama. Now, part of the reason why that Georgia's never beaten Alabama in an SEC championship is because Alabama has a nasty habit of not qualifying for the SEC championship game. You know, uh, last year when uh, Georgia won the SEC championship, Alabama's nowhere to be found. So you're going to hear a bunch of Alabama fans strutting around like, ah, oh, y'all never beaten us in the SEC championship. Well, or at least in the Kirby Smart era. Uh, or uh, part of that's because Alabama has a habit of when Georgia's there, 2017, last year, when Georgia's in the SEC championship, 2019, even though Georgia didn't win that one, when Georgia's in the SEC championship, Alabama has sort of a nasty habit of not being there. So let's just keep that in mind when some of that chatter starts up here. But obviously, it'll be a very different feel in this year's SEC championship you would presume assuming both assuming both these teams keep winning you would presume a very different feel for this year's SEC championship uh, than last year's where it was kind of thought to be sort of a coronation for Georgia against an LSU team that didn't belong on the same field won't have probably the same kind of chatter around this game here this year let's uh lean back and uh laugh at Florida here for a moment another loss for the lousy stinking Gators what an embarrassment thrilled for sam Pittman, you love that but uh florida's very very dangerous about you know not making bowl eligibility another losing season and that's a mess and i don't know like i'm not quite so sure what you do with this if you're florida you've obviously got a great recruiting class coming in do you start watching dj lagway here does DJ Lagway start looking around the, the quarterback commit that's sort of the linchpin of the whole class? I don't know if you start watching that or not. Maybe you do. But uh, you can't have losing seasons every year at Florida. You just can't. I mean, at least at one point in time. Now, I don't know if Florida is even – I don't even know if they have the same aspirations they used to have. Uh, maybe, maybe now a winning season is just good enough. But uh, this team is a long way removed from, I mean, from its championship level. 2008, y'all, is a long time ago. I mean, do the math in your head. Uh you know, the kids that were what born in Florida's last national championship season are well into high school by now. Uh, that's a long time ago, y'all. There, are, there's a whole generation of people that have no memory of Florida being a good team, and uh, I don't know that their memory is going to be <laughs> enhanced by anything that Florida's doing the recent in the near future there as well. Losing to Arkansas at home with LSU, Missouri, and Florida State still remaining on your schedule—that is bad, bad. And uh, I don't think that Billy Napier gets fired after the season. I don't think that Scott Strickland's got the – if Strickland fires Napier, then Strickland's getting fired too. So, therefore, Strickland's going to probably not do this. At least he's going to try to prevent from doing this. They're going to try to do everything they can to sort of hold this together, especially with a good recruiting class coming in. But the bigger issue here right now is is the fact they're just losing too many games in the field. What a mess Florida is right now. And I love every minute of it because we've been doing this now for years we've had florida fans who they were just telling me how stupid i was because i didn't realize what a great coach jim mcclain was going to be and then they just started telling me how stupid i was because i didn't remember how or didn't realize how good of a coach dan mullen was going to be then the same people are telling me how stupid i am because they don't because i don't realize how good of a coach billy napier is going to be <laughs> like like we remember all this stuff we don't you know you know kind of you know go back and forth with a lot of these people very much because you know i'm just not into that to, to that you know too much but you know somewhere the receipts are still there i mean florida fans have been talking up mediocre coaches for a very long time trying to grab whatever faint hope existed and i'm not really quite so sure there's a much hope to be had for florida right now what a mess that is then finally let me give you a few thoughts on some of the top 25 games of note we'll, we'll perhaps you know save you know some stuff for tomorrow there as well we told you clemson was dangerous against notre dame and they won the game outright you know I just think that last week there was some attempt to sort of bury Dabo Swinney a little too much. I mean, pretty clearly, you know, there's some issues there. But as we said late last week, it was either on Thursday show or Friday show. For people who want to say, oh, you know, you know, Dabo needs to get with the, the, the times and, you know, you know, take in more transfers. Like if you look around college football, you don't really see a lot of examples of teams transferring their way to championship success. I mean, LSU took 14 transfers, 11 on defense alone, four in the defensive backfield alone. And yet their their defense is horrible. Transfers aren't necessarily the great elixir uh, that you perhaps think it is. I think that Clemson's biggest issue is is that the uh, hire of Garrett Riley's offensive corner has just turned out not to be kind of a game-changing hire. But, you know, Dabo Swinney, if anything, the thing that he gets most criticized for is 
sometimes believing in his process too much and perhaps believing in his own players too much well guess what happens when you believe in your own players they do believe in you back and I realize a lot of y'all don't like Dabo and I understand why you don't but the idea that Dabo was sort of dead and buried uh, after last week's game no I don't, we, we never quite thought that was the case uh, we think there's some sort of bad moods to be had in Clemson for kind of a while to come here because they're probably well below the national championship level and that's going to frustrate Clemson fans but 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 Clemson's not a dead team walking we don't think that by any stretch Ole Miss really you know at one point in time seemed like it might lose Texas A&M uh, they end up winning the game against the Aggies preserving their top 10 ranking coming into Georgia next week um, you know I I've been wrong about Ole Miss a lot, so perhaps I'm still wrong about them right now. I don't believe Ole Miss is as good as Missouri is, but perhaps this week I'll find out that I'm wrong about that. But I, I don't believe Ole Miss is as good as Missouri. Uh, congratulations to Oklahoma State winning the final game in the Bedlam rivalry here. It was just more fun to cheer for Oklahoma State here in this spot. And this is an Oklahoma team, as we said, that after getting a high-profile win against Texas, they were going to kind of regress back to their mean, and that's pretty much what they've done there. Um, number one, Ohio State, as we said before, kind of scuffled a little bit against uh, Rutgers, at least enough, in which I think that George is probably number one on Tuesday night with the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Georgia fans, I don't think by and large care all that much about that. Georgia, the team, definitely doesn't. But if you're curious, I do believe that Georgia probably moves back to number one there on Tuesday night, and we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I got a final note on Georgia to give you here in a moment. Let me also uh, give a shout out to our friends at Dr. Pepper because uh, had a little back channel conversation here. I think something really fun involving Dr. Pepper is coming to town here really soon. And I'm going to tell you more about that, I believe, when I get a chance. But for now, let me just remind you that Dr. Pepper remains the one fans deserve. So you're getting ready for game day. You're enjoying the brand new Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, perhaps the Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar, or you like the real thing, the original Dr. Pepper, or you like Dr. Pepper, uh, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper uh, zero sugar, uh, all kinds of great flavors and varieties. And each one of them is one of a kind, rich, delicious, flavorful, uh, really, really enjoyable. It's a, a big part of not just my game days, but every day uh, i love my dr pepper treat right when the show is done can't wait to enjoy that here coming up in just a couple of minutes there as well dr pepper is the one fans deserve all right so let me confess something here for a moment and i save this for the very end of the show for a very specific reason i don't like being negative i always try to think twice about anything you know negative to say do i really want to say this and today after thinking twice about this the conclusion i drew is yeah i kind of do want to say this I have to confess, I thought the atmosphere in Sanford Stadium was a little lacking on Saturday. I really did. I did not think the noise level was what it should have been. I thought that fans had to be cajoled a little too much to kind of create the sort of atmosphere that we've come used to expecting uh, from Georgia games. And I just think it's one of those things that, just to be completely frank, going back a year ago, you don't want Eric Ainge to be right. You just you remember him, the Tennessee quarterback radio host, who was saying that Georgia fans, you know, no no big atmosphere, no big deal. Y'all, you don't want Eric Ainge to be right about stuff like this. You you really don't want to do that. Um, and I thought this was a situation on Saturday where, you know, it just sort of felt like you just couldn't quite establish that noise level like you ever wanted to and I put a little thing about this out during the um uh during the game on Saturday about you know I sort of felt like there was a moment kind of second half where I what I said on Twitter was that I sort of felt like the crowd needed to be a little bit more of a factor than it had been at any point in time prior to that during the game I sort of put that out as a feeler to sort of see what other fans were saying about that and I got a lot of agreement. In fact, I talked to some people who were uh, in the stadium on Saturday, including my own brother, who's you know big Georgia fan, gone to games for a long time. And I sort of asked a lot of people, like you know, you feel like this was kind of not quite you know a great atmosphere on Saturday. And a good number of them said, yeah, you know what, I sort of felt like there was a little something lacking. This was a fan base that didn't quite bring it on Saturday the way that Georgia fans have, I think, developed a reputation as of late for bringing it. In fact, I don't take any great joy in saying this, but it is, I believe, truthful. Kirby Smart in his post-game press conference and his beginning remarks where he almost always thanks the fans for what they did, didn't say anything about the fans, I don't believe, in his uh, opening remarks there on Saturday. And that's not to say that Kirby Smart doesn't appreciate you. 
it might mean uh, that perhaps you need to raise your level for this Saturday night against Ole Miss. Not because Georgia needs it, but I do think that Georgia feel, you know, feeds off of it. Kirby's given you credit before for you know 10 points against Arkansas in 2021. We know that Georgia fans changed the game against Tennessee last year with a top 10 Ole Miss team coming to town, uh, with it being a night game on ESPN, with it being the final game of the, the uh, home game of the season for a team that's won 20-something in a row, that's won seemingly a million games at home, the two-time national champions, senior night for a bunch of guys that have meant a ton to Georgia. You know, this Saturday at home, I think is one of those days in which Georgia fans ought to want to be at their best. And I expect that they will be. And I expect that whatever Saturday was, if I'm right about it, and I th- based on other people that I've heard from, I think I am right about this. I wouldn't be saying this right now if I didn't think I was right. Um, if I'm right that this past Saturday was lackluster, that perhaps people looked at Missouri, they don't see a traditional rival, they don't see a team that sort of feels like it should be ranked number 12, and when Missouri's playing close – all of a sudden it sort of feels like, oh, this is a disappointing day for Georgia as opposed to a tough game that Georgia's fighting to win and they need every emotional lift they can get to help them do that. Ole Miss, because it's Lane Kiffin and because it's night and because ESPN's there for the game day during the day, maybe some of that will help propel uh, some of this on a little bit more. But I thought, yes, on Saturday, I thought it was less than what we've come to expect from Georgia fans. And my hope is this Saturday, my belief is this Saturday, that'll be different. But um, just want to kind of point that out here. This is a team that's giving its all for Georgia every single week. And I think the Georgia fans ought to give their all for them. And uh, my guess is moving forward, that is exactly what's going to happen. All right, as we wrap up here today, we'll give you our golden shoe. Our buddy Miriam Corbin, good friend of ours. So after the Florida game, she put this out here. She says, uh, sorry we didn't get the opportunity to tailgate together, but I'd love to see you and your family. Our family has a great time repping for you and Dog Nation daily. So they had a beautiful tailgate set up. And they also had these Dog Nation. It says, I'm a fan of Dog Nation. They made these fans. You see Miriam holding that up. And then she and uh, Kathy Aquaviva came over to our uh, Dog Nation postgame show. And she gave me some of these fans here right there. How great is that to see from uh, Miriam Corbin? Wonderful tailgate there in Jacksonville. Had the uh, I'm a Dog Nation fan fans there. And uh, gave some of those to me there for me to give them to my entire family. So always really thankful for stuff like this. Really good stuff from Miriam Corbin. A really, really wonderful special thing. Miriam, thank you so much. And great to see you there on Saturday. A wonderful, wonderful thing. And a well-deserved golden shoe coming to you for that. Lousy, stinking Gators. Losers to Arkansas this past Saturday. Losers to Georgia a lot. And that number now stands at 1,094 days. That is our Gator Hater Updater. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.